From runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 610, always on VPN with guest Richard Hicks. Recorded Monday, September 24th, 2018. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Thank you, Brandon. This is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. I'm here at Ignite in Orlando in the Podcast Central area using their gear, which is not normal for me. And I have the good fortune to be sitting across from Richard Hicks. And let me read his new bio because he's a Microsoft Cloud and Data Center MVP, more than 25 years in the information technology industry, the founder and principal consultant of Richard M. Hicks Consulting, Inc., and is focused on delivering enterprise mobility and security infrastructure solutions to organizations of all sizes. And he's also the author of Implementing Direct Access with Windows Server 2016 from A-Press Media. Welcome back, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm thinking back to some of the early shows they did. Didn't we do a bunch of the Edge? ISA server. The ISA server stuff. Holy man, that's a long time ago. You may have been in the double-digit numbers. Well, we're over 600 now, friends. So it's been a couple of years since you've been on. And I know we've done a few shows around direct access. Mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think, we, I think the last one was probably just after Win 10 came along. I believe so. And uh, Windows Server 2016 was new. And yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of interesting rumblings about direct access and its future viability in the uh, Microsoft ecosystem. So it'd be good to maybe expand upon that because that's probably a question that your your listeners are certainly going to be asked. For sure. Well, and, you know, you think, I, I mean, I really like our history here because we've been through all of these products mm-hmm. that have come and gone. Remember network access protection? That seemed like a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've been working with the Microsoft technologies for almost my entire career mm-hmm. in this field. Dating back to the proxy server product, uh, proxy one, proxy two, ISA server, edge security remote access is what I've done a lot with in the Microsoft space. And so looking at the ISA servers and the IAG and UAG and the TMG products back in the day, threat management gateway, then that natural progression to pivoting to direct access, because that's kind of the way Microsoft was going. And of course, obviously, they killed all of those products as well. You know, they got rid of Forefront as a technology and got rid of all those things and kind of baked it into the operating system. And and today, direct access is very widely deployed. It really is kind of the standard for enterprise remote access for corporations. But the world is changing. The Microsoft yeah, sure. world is changing. The way we you know, implement and manage devices and systems is, is changing. Certainly, the cloud has a big impact yeah. on this. And those all affect mobility. It's funny because I get this question all the time is, you know, hey, we love direct access. But we look at this and we, we look at direct access and we see that when it came out in Windows Server 2012, there was a lot of new features and functionality. Yeah, sure. When we needed sequential IPs, like all of that kind of We pain. got rid of some of those things, and yeah. we, made, we kind of reduced some of the barriers to adoption and things like that. But what ended up happening was Server 2012 R2 came out, and it was the same. 2016 came out, and it's the same. There's no new features and functionality. And people are starting to ask that question. Well, is this product actually dead? This is beginning to look like Microsoft is no longer investing in yeah, it. And then, yeah. of course, Microsoft comes out and states... Hey, we're no longer investing in direct <laughs> access, by the way. You should look at always on VPN, which we'll get to in a second. Right. But interestingly enough, though, direct access, although its demise has been imminent, 
is still a valid supported. Yeah, it's not like they're going to stop support. They're just not adding to it. They're just not investing in it. And I, I equate this with WINS. WINS is still in the operating yeah. system, for God's sakes. I can't imagine anybody who's using that, no. but it's still there. Mm-hmm. Direct access is very widely deployed. And yeah. so it's one of those things that I think will live on for quite a long time in, in kind of stasis, very yeah. much like WINS, except for, I think, used by more organizations. But Microsoft's really looking at the future, and the future is, the, and the reality is, of course, that the cloud is dominating everything. And sure. Microsoft is moving to this paradigm of moving away from the traditional, uh, I'm going to use the word legacy, on-premises active directory, yeah. to cloud authentication, Azure AD, and, yeah. and all the features and capabilities that come along with that. And direct access as a technology was tied intimately to active directory on-premises. Sure. So this became a real barrier to adoption of the cloud. Organizations saying, hey, I'm moving to the cloud, I'm moving my workloads to the cloud, I need access to you know, systems that are going to be hosted in the cloud. Right. And so I'm, I use direct access today. I still have to manage these devices. I still want to manage them. How can I do that? Well, mm-hmm. if Microsoft is insisting you move to Azure AD and, and use Intune for management and all that stuff, they had to have a better story that better fit with their cloud mantra. And so that's where we come up with always on VPN. So in, in Microsoft's world, with Windows 10, they've really been investing heavily on building uh, a direct access analog or replacement using features that would work with the cloud. So we've come up with always on VPN, which is, I call it back to the future. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's interesting because we've gone back to using the traditional VPN client plumbing or components. They've built some kind of secret sauce around it to make it seamless, transparent, always on, just like direct access. So right. direct access was awesome because it really got us off of the whole user-initiated VPN, which just, right. it really sucked, right? Well, and the dialogues that pop up and interrupt what you're doing to let you know you're connected, you're disconnected, like all of that obnoxiousness. It's just stupid. And yeah. again, being user-initiated, meaning when you start up your laptop, and if you don't want to connect to the network, you don't. Right. Meaning your system is not being managed at that time yes. until you decide you need something as the user, then connect. Right. And then maybe in the background, we can get some updates applied or get some, uh, you know, group policy updates, like any of those things. Yeah. Maybe, if we're lucky, if the user doesn't shut down in the middle of that process because they got their file that they wanted. Right. So, direct access was awesome because now it meant anytime the user had the laptop on and it had an active internet connection, we're connected to the network. Right. We're updating group policy on the standard refresh cycles. We're checking in with SCCM and WSS and doing all the things that systems management people need. Mm -hmm. So, it reduced that kind of blind spot that mobile, predominantly field-based devices presented, right? Which was... I send them out in the field and I don't know what kind of shape they're in for six months or a year till they come back to the office. And then they're totally out of whack. And so there was real problems with that. So direct access solved those problems. But again, looking towards the cloud, Microsoft said, we need something that better plays with that story. So what we're doing is we're using the traditional client-based VPN components of the Windows 10 operating system. And they've built in some secret sauce to make it seamless, transparent, always on. So always on VPN is right. really just an automatically connecting VPN client. What's it connecting to? And that's that's where I think it gets really compelling in the story, I think, is, is impressive. In that where direct access was Microsoft end-to-end. Right. They'd have Microsoft servers, Microsoft clients, everything. With always on VPN, since the VPN plumbing is based on open standards like IPv2, for example, uh, VPN protocols, those will interoperate with a variety of VPN appliances or devices. So no longer do I have to use Windows servers. 
I could certainly use something like Checkpoint or Palo Alto or Juniper or SonicWall or Fortinet or right. Sophos or it doesn't really matter. Any VPN device that's capable of supporting an IGv2 connection would certainly work. Now, with the always-on VPN components, one of the challenges with IGv2 is that it is not firewall-friendly. Right? Okay. So those are well-known ports, and we know that those are for establishing tunnels and security administrators, myself included, would probably say, hey, probably not a good idea to allow VPN protocols out of my network. What yeah. is it going to be used for? Probably, you know, data exfiltration and things like that. Right. Potentially nefarious uses, probably going to block it. But also, trying, yeah, totally invisible to you. Like, you can't see them. They're encrypted channels. Exactly. So, they'll try to block that. And that's, of course, that was the rise of, of, of SSL and TLS-based VPNs, is that they were very firewall-friendly. Right. Which is more firewall-circumventing. Of Correct. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, and then I always turn that around and say, well, if you have a really good firewall solution, you can certainly detect TLS-based VPNs and still block them. I, right. won't, I won't mention any of my favorite vendors' names, but there are some that can do that. <laughs> allow you to browse websites, not allow you to use a TLS-based VPN. Right. But be that as it may, TLS-based VPNs become more firewall-friendly and more ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. So the challenge with IGv2 it being blocked doesn't necessarily preclude always-on VPN from being a good solution. It just means that you need to plan accordingly. If you use the Windows Server RS server as your VPN server, it, of course, supports the Secure Socket Tunneling Protocol, SSTP. That's Microsoft's proprietary VPN transport that is TLS-based. Right. Works fantastic. Mm -hmm. And the beauty of RS is that it's been around forever. It's really stupid simple to make work. It's, it's actually a pretty compelling solution. Very cost-effective because it's just spinning up a VM, a yep. couple of licenses, what have you. It's pretty easy to use. doesn't offer a lot in the way of additional security and protection, it's pretty super basic. But, you know, hey, free, you get what you pay for, right? If you implement it with a like a property firewall appliance or security solution, some of the vendors that I'd mentioned before, then you get advanced features and capabilities, you know, traffic inspection, deep packet inspection, right. URL filtering, all of the good stuff that you would have built into, you know, a proper security solution. And so in, in those cases, of course, if you're going to go with a third-party solution, it, there are advantages to doing that. But, of course, costs associated as well. Sure, without a doubt. So is the, the big advantage here with Always On then that it's less Windows-dependent? Absolutely, and more, yeah. more interoperable. I think one of the drawbacks to, well, some of the drawbacks to direct access were, one, first and foremost, the reliance on IPv6. Yep, which seemed like a good idea a few years ago and less of a good idea today. It's a fantastic idea. The problem is that today application developers are still not doing the right thing. Sure. <laughs> if if they would just simply look for host names and not IPs, yes. it wouldn't be a problem. But there are still those applications out there that say, I need to talk to 1041.21.5. Where is it? And direct access doesn't do that, yeah. right? It's IPv6 exclusively. And so yeah. it's much less of a challenge today than it was even several years ago. Mm -hmm. But it is still a challenge. I hear from customers on a daily basis almost where they have some sort of unique corner case that prevents them from fully utilizing direct access. Some piece of software that's depending on an IPv4 yep. direct address. Somewhere, yeah. yeah. And so that there's those challenges. The other challenge comes from a supportability aspect in that direct access is pretty complex. There's mm -hmm. a lot of interdependencies. It's very tightly coupled with Active Directory and group policy, certificate services infrastructure, and a lot of things like that. And it tends to get brittle. So, for example... There are scenarios in which you're trying to make changes. An Active Directory group policy gets nuked. You don't have a backup. This solution is dead. You have to rebuild it. 
And by the way, when you rebuild it, your clients that are outside at the time this happens are orphaned. Right. Because the only way they're going to connect again is to update group policy. Right. If they can't connect to update group policy... Then they can't... Yeah. You see the circular challenge there. Yeah, it's like, you better come to the office. You have to come to the office or connect out of band using another VPN. Right. And then then customers say, okay, well, I end up having multiple solutions. I have direct access for the bulk of my company. Yeah. But I have uh, non-Windows-based devices that still need access. Right. And then I have those corner cases in which the DA servers are down, so I need to provide some sort of backup access for admins. And so you end up having multiple solutions. Right. So always on VPN is a little bit better because it is much less tightly coupled with the infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Meaning, we spoke before about using our RAS or third party. Yeah. I can use either or or both. I right. can literally have a Juniper device and an RAS server answering connections from the same group of servers on the same URL. And they'd be fine with it. Wouldn't have a problem with it. You know, it, it, it feels to me like we're getting back to decisions that was made around Active Directory, just presuming we'd always be connected and mm-hmm. always be symmetrical. Right. Still biting us decades later. Absolutely. And I have that conversation with customers often. One of the challenges that with the direct access was, okay, well, I want to control access to and through the direct access servers. Right. right? So I have clients that are outside of my network. Yes, they may be trusted to a certain extent, but not as much as the machines on my on my network. Yeah. So I want to ACL some of that traffic. I want to control some of that traffic and restrict it. Mm-hmm. They don't need access to the whole network when they're outside. The challenge with direct access is that since it was IPv6, everything had to be translated to IPv4. So everything coming into the network appeared to come from the direct access server, right. not the client. Yes. It was NATed. So if you put an ACL in place, it affects... Everyone. Yeah. There's only one class of user then coming out of direct access. It also makes your internal logging much less useful because you could say, oh, hey, there was some shenanigans going on on the file server from this IP address. It's the DA server. It could have been any one of 2,000 clients connected sure. to it. Yeah, it doesn't really help. You, you. can you can find that information somehow, but it's you have to do a lot yeah, of digging. It's not going to be done there. So with, with always on VPN, we've gotten back to you know using IPv4. You can certainly use IPv6. I would encourage customers to do that. But IPv4 is fully supported. There's no strict requirements to IPv6, meaning we lose a lot of the encapsulation and encryption overhead that we had with direct access. So it becomes a much more streamlined solution and ultimately more supportable. So, for example, with our remote access servers being less tightly coupled to infrastructure, it means that we can, you know, move and replace those. I can have them on-premises and move them to the cloud. I can have on-premises and cloud backup or vice versa. I can have RS servers in one location, and I could have Palo Alto firewalls in another location. Right. And it doesn't really matter. The clients don't even care. All works sort of the same way. Give me a moment right here for this very important message. Always on VPN is such a good idea that everyone should do it. And when you do, you'll be able to extend your on-premises group policy to those machines out in the field. And that's when you get to do more with Policy Pack. Policy Pack hooks right into your existing group policy world to enable you to do superpowers you couldn't do before. Manage all browsers, dynamically deliver file association settings on Windows 10, and deliver the perfect Windows 10 start screen every time new software is deployed. Increase security by finally removing local admin rights on your machines out in the field, but use Policy Pack as needed to elevate the one-off software installs, driver updates, or pesky applications that require UAC prompts. Learn the secret that hundreds of administrators are using over a million desktops to make their machines more manageable and more secure. It's Policy Pack. Kick off your free trial and see what everyone is talking about by coming to policypack.com and check out our daily webinar. 
Then you can try it yourself and see if it's right for you to get standardized and more secure. Policy Pack, securing your standards. And we're back. Richard Campbell here with Richard Hicks. It's Run As Radio here live at Microsoft Ignite in Orlando, talking a little direct access. You know, I appreciate the close coupling. I appreciate, you know, sort of the bindery around Active Directory, all of those sorts of problems. It still feels like always on is kind of stepping backwards. Like we were talking about this IPv6 problem. It's like, in theory, we should have been able to carry IPv6 addresses of all of those external machines through the DA, provided we were using IPv6 internally, like you should have been able to carry those addresses all the way through. You're absolutely right. And the interesting bit of trivia with regards to direct access, it is strictly reliant on IPv6 from the client to the server. Right. But there are very unique challenges that come up if you use IPv6 end-to-end, some that are very difficult to to fix. Hmm. In other words... It's almost a solution that uses IPv6, but when you use IPv4 on the internal network, it works fine. If you have IPv6 on the internal network, then it causes serious problems. more problem. And the problem, the biggest problem here, and for the folks listening, they'll know, probably know this, is routing. So you have global unique addresses for your clients that right. connect through the VPN or through the direct access server. So they go into the network, and then what ends up happening is since that's a globally addressable address, the server then responds through the default gateway, sure, which turns into an asymmetric routing challenge. Yeah, yeah. So I really need to have a scenario in which I have some sort of deterministic IPv6 addressing for my clients. Right. So that I can route that specifically and uniquely back to the direct access server. And by the way, the individual direct access server that terminated their connection. Right. And then, and then we'll push it on back to the client. So the biggest challenges I faced deploying direct access historically were those networks that had IPv6 deployed internally. Because we had to deal with routing issues. Right. And if they've got an IPv6 savvy provider as well, it's like you think, oh, wow, I should be golden. Actually, you're in bigger and trouble. It falls apart. It falls no apart. Kidding. And what we end up having to do is we end up having to remove the IPv6 addressing from the direct access servers. Interesting. Force IPv4, Four. force a transition tunnel. And then you're back to the NAT problem. Uh, exactly. But, I'm, but I at least have solved the problem in that I now know what prefixes the clients will be using so mm-hmm. that I can route those internally. I can add those to my routing tables and get that traffic back. But it almost speaks to Microsoft implemented their IPv6 incorrectly with direct access. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't want to say incorrectly. It just poses some unique challenges, mostly towards routing. In right. other words, you, you, since if the client has a globally unique address... I have no idea what it's going yeah, to be ahead of time. So yeah. when it connects, I have to decide how to route that yeah. back. And just being able to say, I can route this through the primary gateway arc. I have to route this back to that specific Correct. DA server. Correct. Because it came in through that DA server. I need right. to route it back through that. Yeah, yeah. And if that fails, then the connection fails. Yeah. And so there, again, just some unique challenges there that I, I don't know that anybody really foresaw or considered. The workaround for Microsoft is, of course, just make the direct access server your default gateway. Right. That's never going to happen, right? Because <laughs> that's going to be your your proper routing infrastructure. Sure, this is yeah. just a, this is just an access gateway, not your router. Yeah. So you can't make it the default router for your whole network. And by the way, I have more than one server. I can have more, and they don't share state. A lot of problems came up. So it is interesting, though, that and you mentioned it going backwards a little bit on this. Yeah. Sometimes I think we as technologists tend to get caught up in the technology, mm-hmm. like we should be going forward. But at the end of the day, organizations just want stuff to work yeah. so that they can move on and do other things. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, I love IPv6. And I'm forever grateful to Microsoft for this technology using IPv6 because that's where I got my exposure to yeah. it, you know? And so I learned the technology. And by the way, people who are afraid of IPv6, I ask them, 
were you born with native intrinsic IPv4 knowledge? No, you learned that too. Yeah. You didn't know what a subnet mask is one, no. at one point in your life. It's the same thing with IPv6. Mm-hmm. You can learn it. Everybody can learn it. I did. Anybody can. Yeah. But at the end of the day, if it's an issue or a challenge that keeps coming up and preventing us from being fully productive and then spending cycles supporting it, working around it and all of those things, then sometimes I think we need to take the path of least resistance. If IPv4 is what works and that's what the enterprise has, well, then let's go for that. Yeah. Let's move on and, and tackle the bigger problems. And folks just aren't willing to fight for it. Like, it's not that necessary. At the enterprise level, yes. I yeah. mean, IPv6 is certainly 100% required for things like the IoT, right? Mm-hmm. The IoT doesn't exist without IPv6. Sure. You can't have billions of devices, you know, with a couple billion IP addresses, yeah. right? So that's not going to work. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think that Microsoft just said, hey, listen, Let's support both IPv4 and IPv6, mm-hmm. remove the exclusive reliance, and then we'll use these open standard technologies, and we can have a system that's a little more open and flexible, which is, again, going back to the new Microsoft, yeah. right? 20 years ago, 10 years ago even, there was the domain or nothing. Right. Now it's, hey, you know, run what you brung, and, you know, we're happy to help you. And embracing this heterogeneous client. You bet. There's just no option around that. That's the way things are. You bet. And people want their phones to have secure access mm-hmm. to the network as well. Mm-hmm. Phones, tablets, you know, Windows surfaces, laptops, anything sure. like that. And, of course, the, the beauty here is that with Always on VPN, a lot of the things that were missing from direct access, like conditional access and traffic filtering mm-hmm. and those types of things, support for non-domain joined devices, Windows Pro, for example, right? all of those come with Windows 10 Always on VPN. So at the end of the day, you get the direct access experience. Seamless, transparent, always on, infinitely user-friendly. It just works. And But the advantage here, of course, is you get the capabilities. For example, if you're using always on VPN with Windows 10 and you are Azure AD integrated, then you get to use things like conditional access, right. meaning I can define policies and say your laptop can't connect to my network unless it meets my specific set of parameters, firewall on, this up-to-date, what have you, and then you can connect. You, it integrates with things, modern technologies like Windows Information Protection. So, for example, if you're connected via Always On VPN and you're integrating with WIP, then any files that you download over the VPN will be then, of course, marked. And so they're protected. You wouldn't be able to do anything with them outside of that. Sure. And, of course, if the laptop of a, or device is then deregistered from Active Directory, then that, those, no, those files those don't anymore. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you get all, all of that effect. And this is where you talk about support. Right? They never got to those features in direct access, and now Correct. they're showing up and always on. Correct. And, and again, because direct access had this intimate requirement for Active Directory and group policy, right. the traditional Active Directory, where those features were in Azure AD. So they needed some way to get this solution to integrate with Azure and Active Directory in the cloud, and so this is the path they've chosen. So if you're looking to implement modern mobility, yeah. direct access is a fantastic solution. If you're still traditionally on-premises, you know, have uh, all of your clients are managed on-prem, on-domain, and things like that, yep. that's fantastic. But as customers start to move to the cloud, they start to integrate with Azure AD and taking advantage of things like the app single sign-on across all the multiple platforms. It doesn't sound like it's that hard to switch. It's not terribly difficult. And, and the migration process is actually fairly fairly simple, at least in theory, mm-hmm. meaning that both solutions will coexist. Right. So I've helped a number of customers, even some large ones, migrate from direct access to always-on VPN. And fundamentally what we do is we just simply implement always-on VPN, and direct access just kind of falls off. So right. when the VPN client launches, direct access just stops. In some cases, it doesn't really work that smoothly. But in the end, if both solutions are there and functioning, 
when we remove the direct access policies, then the always-on VPN takes over. And right. so it's a fairly seamless migration for the most part. And, so, and you don't have that dead drop. You're still you're just yep. running the DA servers until there's yep. nobody using them anymore. Exactly. And then, yeah. and then you just, you're an always-on. Exactly. And then after all of your clients are gone, you retire the servers and so forth. So right. it's not terribly difficult or challenging like that. I mean, there's a few pain points that come up. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest challenge for customers that I've involved with is that Windows 10 always on VPN, it has a, a fundamentally different management paradigm. That being, it is managed via the configuration service provider, right. fundamentally an MDM. Mm-hmm. So in other words, people ask me and say, well, I'm great. I want to do this. Where are the ADMX files for my group policy? And they don't exist. You don't, <laughs> you don't manage this with group policy anymore. We've, right. we've moved to the future. We're Active Directory integrated, mm-hmm. and we're going to use Intune for management. So Intune is just a necessary part of the equation. A mobile device management platform is a highly recommended piece. So in other right. words, it is possible to do this using like SCCM right. or even just PowerShell. Right. If you want to roll your own. Exactly. So if you want to do it that way, that's fine. And, and certainly on the low end of the scale, if you're going to deploy a few clients, PowerShell script works quick and simple. Sure. I certainly use it for testing, initial testing. Any sort of scalable deployment, if you don't have Intune, we can do it with SCCM. It's a bit of a kludge, but it does work. Mm-hmm. But it's really designed to work with MDM. So, yeah, ideally, of course, that would be Intune. It's integrated into their UI. But there's nothing that would prevent it from working with AirWatch or Mobile Iron or any other third-party MDM. Because it's using the MDM specification, the, the CSP specification. So, that's, a, that's an open standard right. model there. And so, basically, it's a set of parameters defined in an XML file that you push to the client. In Windows, it gets mapped via WMI to those settings in the UI that we see. But fundamentally, that's how it works. But it is not managed in the traditional way using Active Directory and Group Policy. Right, because those are all Windows-only approaches. Exactly. And yeah. for customers who have direct access and are considering a migration to always on VPN, those are the first questions they get. Sure. It's like, okay, well, so how are we going to manage this at scale? And the first question is, do you have Intune? And almost, most of the time, the answer is no. No, I don't. no. And it, I don't have Intune yet. Well, because it's a per-seat bill. Like People are you resisting bet. it. You bet. So there's a, there's a cost associated sure. with that. And also, a lot of customers that I talk to have Intune but only for mobile devices. They've done it for their iPhones and Androids mm-hmm. and, and Windows phones. But yeah, so they're not doing their Windows desktop. So that's a paradigm shift as well. So the management, I think, it, it will come in time as people uh, grow more comfortable and start to adopt Intune. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it changes things a great deal. And so customers have to really consider those no, things. And, it, and these are business decisions too, right? You like bet. We're definitely spending differently for our VPN if we, you when we go to Always On. Yes, absolutely. And yeah. again, always costs associated with that, even with direct access. And this is one of the questions that comes up quite a bit, especially when customers are looking at third-party solutions that may have more advanced feature sets or mm-hmm. capabilities, is that, okay, well, you know, you're, you're talking about solution B here being having all these cool new features, but it costs X dollars per month or year or whatever. Right, per seat. For direct access, I don't pay anything is what I get. Yeah, is the, my, my sunk costs are sunk. And the way I like to explain it is it's not free. You're definitely paying for it, yeah. but they're baked in, right? You've yeah. already consumed those. Mm-hmm. But there are certainly costs associated with licensing and CPU cycles you're consuming, wherever that might be, mm-hmm. maintenance and support. And, of course, if you're looking at a third-party solution that has advanced features, those may offset that free, quote-unquote, perceived free cost sure. because they provide advantages that, they can provide mobility in locations that uh, Microsoft native solutions can't. Right. They may reduce support 
issues. So there's there's definitely you have to consider all of the costs seen and unseen right. with any solution, and that's been something that comes up very commonly with direct access. Well, and I get that Microsoft will tend to put Intune in front of you first, but there are mm-hmm. other choices. You bet, yeah, because again, we're living in this open world, right, right. where everything is interoperable and things like that. So at the end of the day, Intune is the path of least resistance. So mm-hmm. first of all, you can set up an always-on VPN connection in Intune using their UI, literally point, click, and ship. I like to caution people that doing so in that manner is a very, very basic, very simplistic deployment. And there's probably a bunch of features and capabilities you want to light up that are not in the UI. So you're probably going to end up having to do the manual process of creating the XML file yourself and publishing that. But you can publish that file with Intune as well as AirWatch, MobileIron, and anybody else's solution. Yeah, any your favorite MDM plays here. Exactly, yeah. Yep. Anything else? What are we missing? Not sure. I, I no. think that, you know, it's it's funny when we have this discussion about mobility, uh, one question that comes up quite commonly mm-hmm. is, is, is this really necessary anymore? Everything's in the cloud. What What is the importance drive of mobility? For business, right? We have one drive for business. We have every application in the world now seems to be online yep. or the internet. But the reality is, is that for as many services and applications that are available online strictly, Corporations today are largely hybrid. Yep. Yes, they may have a lot of cloud presence, an extensive cloud presence, maybe even a lot of infrastructure in the mm-hmm, cloud, mm-hmm. but they almost always universally still have some sort of on-premises. Something. But so this conversation is really about, if you're going to make this jump, do you need a VPN? Or what are you really right. using your VPN for? Exactly. What is it that your mobile users need access to? Right. If it's all exclusively cloud-based, then obviously the requirement for a mobility solution is, is much less. Yeah, yeah. But for organizations that are hybrid, that need access to on-premises. Which to me sounds like data absolutely applications. Everybody. And it's the bulk of customers, right? right. So, you know, I, obviously in the Microsoft world, they would love us to just move everything to the cloud and sure. be done and on-premises would and go away tomorrow. Us, and we're paying a monthly <laughs> for it, right? <laughs> but the reality is most organizations have some sort of on-premises presence, right? Whether it be, again, legacy, whether it be regulatory compliance pressures yeah. that dictate I need specific circumstances. Yeah, certain to, files in certain locations are harder to do in the cloud. Sometimes it's a resistance to the new and I have control over the things in sure. my data center and I'm going to manage those and uh, you know you make the decisions but I also appreciate that hybrid persists because you don't want to do dead drop migrations you, you do sure. want to leave those options in place and then turn stuff off only when they truly fall out of use I've always thought that the cloud is a fantastic uh, solution in order to scale up and, and provide that flexible scalability. Right. Elasticity I think was a key word a few years ago mm-hmm. but being able to spin up and, and really grow things quickly where those are much more difficult to do on-premises. Sure. But your static workloads are probably maybe better served on-premises. But at the end of the day, even for organizations that are moving entirely to the cloud, there are still going to be cases in which you still need access to the infrastructure for management and support, mm-hmm. troubleshooting. You still may have applications that are hosted in cloud infrastructure. Yep that you still don't want to make available through public interfaces because that presents a security risk. Mm -hmm. So we more tightly control access to our very sensitive data by forcing you to come through our VPN gateways, which are much better authenticated than just logging onto a website and providing your username and password. Sure. 
I think just enumerating for any given organization everything that passes through their VPN connections, mm-hmm. not a trivial task. It's no more, no easier than doing a full app inventory. Correct, yeah. Just because you start presuming you always have a VPN, and you start pushing stuff across it, whether you realize it or not. And at the end of the day, it's visibility. Yeah, yeah. Right? Well, where is your data going to who, mm-hmm. to whom, and how? How it's going. Uh, and then control. Like I said, if you integrate with you know things like Azure AD, conditional access, and Windows Information Protection, you have much better control over that content being mm-hmm. pulled down. So at the end of the day, that's a good thing too. Yeah. No, this is only more choices. You bet. But And better flexibility. Mm-hmm. And I don't imagine direct access going away, but like you said, there hasn't been investment in several years. Correct. Yes, absolutely. And Microsoft has publicly stated they're no longer investing. So right. take not, that for what it's worth. Yeah, this is not interpretation. This They've is, said nope, a point nope, blank. Absolutely. This is a statement they made to Gartner several years ago. Yeah. And actually in some of the Microsoft documentation online for direct access, it says... You probably shouldn't be deploying direct access. You should be looking to deploy always on VPN. It'll be interesting to see what happens with 2019. And direct access is still there. Yeah. It's so so at least that rev. You know, you're probably good for a little while longer. Yeah. I I think moving away from the long-term servicing channel and moving to that semi-annual channel. Yeah changes things dramatically. Mm -hmm. So in the old paradigm, it was, if it's included in the operating system, it's supported for 10 years. Yeah. Right? So five years in mainstream, and then five years in extended extended support. And you knew you had 10 years of supportability, right? And also functionality. Yep. Now, if this operating system is changing every six months, I don't know that there's a guarantee that, okay, so maybe it's supported on the server side, but I don't think there's a guarantee that maybe the client won't drop support for at it some at some point, point in yeah. the future. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm maybe a bit of a conspiracy theorist there, but I, I wouldn't discount that. There's plenty of opportunity for conspiracy in this whole conversation, <laughs> right? You know, but I, I appreciate that. And, and it's, it's great to get it clarified. I, I, I really like your thinking around this. Great to ha- actually do this in person after all these years. Very good. Thanks so much for coming back on the Thanks show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio. Mm-hmm.